Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today I have our Chief Science Officer, Dr. Brandon Roberts, for another research review. And today we are talking all things nutrient timing. Nutrient timing has been something that has been in the industry and uh, the talk of research for, gosh, probably decades at this point. And it's it's one of the most, uh, quote unquote, pendulum swinging topics, I think you could say, uh, in all of yeah. really like coaching, nutrition, fitness, all that kind of stuff, because it's just gone so back and forth constantly. Um, you know, there's a couple runners up there, but Nutrient Times probably got the, the trophy for that one because, uh, you know, when it first came about, and I think it might have been perpetuated by supplement industry because protein shakes came out and it was like, you know, you get done with your workout, you better get to a protein shake within 30 minutes. And if you don't, you don't have fast acting protein digesting in your bloodstream quick enough, you're going to lose your gains. Right. And then, uh, and that's, I remember like the meme I always think of is the, the stepbrothers one where Will Ferrell's holding him and he's like frozen. And it was like, cause he like lost his gains, but he was like, yeah. So, um, Tons of memes came out about it, but later they realized, oh, it's not actually 30 minutes. You'll be fine for maybe like an hour or two. And then later it came out. It was like, actually, it's more like three or four hours. And then later it was like, actually, you know what? It's like way past that. As long as you have something within 24 hours, you're probably going to be fine. No atrophy is going to happen. And then I remember things coming out and saying, you know what? We're not going to see atrophy, but we might actually see some better gains if we actually get to some nutrients uh, around that time. And there's, and that's just for protein. I'm not even going down the rabbit hole of carbohydrates, which people have talked about for pre and intra and post, not only for glycogen replenishment, but also for purposes of, uh, I mean, I've even heard people talk and I've, I've read some of this and I, I have leaned into this a little bit, but like cortisol management and recovery and stuff like that, um, amongst many other anabolic processes that carbs, um, do whether it's relative to the exact training window or not is up for debate. So, um, Brandon's going to lead us through a discussion on what the research actually says. And, and luckily, there's been so much fucking research on this topic that we actually have a list of guidelines from the ISSN, which is probably, they've probably done the best as far as bringing a lot of it together and putting it in into a concise list for people to read. So we'll link that in, in the description and it'll also be listed in the show notes of this podcast. You can just literally read it. But Brandon's going to take us through this and then we're going to uh, have a brief discussion on kind of what our approach is, what we see, um, and I'll kind of dive into, you know, for me personally, what the practical application has been for our clients that we work with. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I agree. The ISSN's position stand is like the thing to read. It's very, it's very readable. Um, and it has a bit of like story into it, which is nice. It's, it's hard for scientists to write stories sometimes. Um, but I'll kind of chime those in throughout the, the kind of list that we're going to go down. But um you know, when we, we think nutrient timing, there are multiple components. We have the day, right? So in a 24-hour period, how often should you be eating certain things? Well, with the advent of um, intermittent fasting, things have gotten really interesting, right? And, and we're still discovering some of the benefits of manipulating nutrition timing. So we're not going to talk about intermittent fasting, um, but for general purposes, it's best to spread your meals throughout the day. And when I say meals, I really want you to focus on the protein aspect, right? Um, most protein synthesis is elevated if you're not training for you know, three to six hours. Um, so having three to four 
meals of about 30 grams to 40 grams protein throughout the day is beneficial to elevating muscle protein synthesis and are contributing to long-term hypertrophy. Now, when you resistance train, that effect becomes longer, right? So we we still want to eat every, you know, f- three to four hours to optimize, like we're talking optimize here, not just like gain muscle, just like I want every single percentage of hypertrophy. I want it all. Um, you know, it, the recommendation is three to four hours, 30 to 40 grams of protein. Um, when you kind of mentioned um, training, right? There, there was quite a back and forth because of, I'll, I'll say probably supplement companies, probably like scientists, where we had probably 15 years of proteins good before, no after, no during. No, you need to combine it with carbs. No, you need to have it with, with whey. No, you need to have it with mixed whey and casein. And no, you, you have to do it this way. Um, so, so that happened for like 20, 15, 20 years. Uh, and it, what it all really boiled down to was kind of what you mentioned. Um, have some protein around your workouts. Uh, three to four hours before, three to four hours after, that's a big enough window. That's a six-hour window that you should probably be eating in if you're trying to get big, right? If you're hungry, like I, I don't think I can go more than four or five hours without eating anymore. Um, so that's, that's a good guideline. The carbohydrate aspect and the fats you can distribute, you know, throughout the day. Um, I think some people prefer, like you said, to have some carbs in the morning, most of the carbs before your training or whatnot. Uh, and I prefer mine, afterwards, I just get really hungry, right? So there's some, some variability between people. Um, and with carbohydrates before, during, or after training, there's also kind of context. Uh, so you and I probably don't need to worry about consuming carbs during our workout. Um, but let's say that we were magically endurance athletes, right? Um, and we're running for more than an hour. The ISSN guidelines and lots of studies will show that you need about 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates to optimize your performance. Um, so that's where things like Gatorade come in, right? Gatorade was specifically designed for the perfect carbohydrate ratio, it's about 6%, um, to, for you to have a bottle, get your 30 to 60 carbs in while you're exercising. Um, so that, that's a good example of, of how nutrition industry has influenced some things, but also like, that's a pretty big deal. If you can increase performance, but just by drinking some carbs, uh, do you, we'll pause here for a second. Um, what, what, what do you do for your carbohydrates generally? You know, and I think this is something I was going to say too, with, uh, you mentioned you like to have a lot of yours after. And I actually was that way at one point in time too. And I think I've read, I want to say it was a research review on some kind of nutrient timing aspect. Um, But it basically boiled down to uh, what what works best is what you do consistently. So for example, if I were to switch to eating more carbs in the evening, at first it would be really hard and I'd be starving in the morning, but my body would eventually get used to it because total calorie consumption day to day would eventually kind of it, it would even out, you know, after the first couple of days, I'd, my body would get used to it. And then all of a sudden I'd be more adjusted to it. You know, I don't know if it would happen in a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but, um, I think that's probably a lot of the case because, you know, 
I used to be able to put food down after I worked out. Now I actually don't get that hungry afterwards. Like I have my two largest meals of the day, first thing in the morning and then around like noon. I train at three and then I have a pretty small dinner and then a small, uh, I mean small for me, for some people listening it might not be, but a, a smaller dinner and then a s- even smaller snack before bed with like casein and stuff like that. So I think that's what my body's been used to. But typically for me, carbs are going to be, uh, quite a bit in the morning and then uh, pre-workout. If I'm at maintenance or uh, trying to put on muscle, I actually do supplement with an intra-workout carb. I actually have it right here. It's our first form who sponsors us, but it's essential amino acids and high brain cyclic injection with some like electrolytes and stuff. Um, but it's 25 grams carbs. So not a lot, but it helps me get enough carbs in. Um, and whether it's placebo or it's not literally the digestion of carbs, I do feel better training when I consume it typically. Um, and we've talked about the research on, you know, mouth swishing and stuff like that. And so, um, regardless of it, I don't, I don't really care as long as I train harder and I do tend to notice it. So I will implement that at times, but for the most part for me, it's like, uh, big bolus carbs first thing in the morning, either whole grain breads of some sort, sweet potatoes or oats, something with like an egg style breakfast. And then usually it's like oats for my pre-workout meal with some kind of protein source, like Usually for me, it's like yogurt and uh, whey protein, so a little casein, a little whey. But I eat three hours prior to my training. So I'm one of those guys that I don't like to eat right before and then train. So I do have a higher fiber and slower digestion protein source pre-workout because I know I'm not training an hour later. I'm actually training three to three and a half hours later. Um, but that's – and this is me on like I'm in a slight deficit right now. So maintenance, I would usually add end up adding carbs to dinner. For me right now, carb, there's no carbs in dinner outside of veggies. Um, but usually for me, I'm carbs in every single meal, more carbs before workout, less after, but there's still carbs in every meal for me. Oh man. I can't, I can't do no carbs at dinner. My, I, my wife tries to, tries to do that sometimes and I'm like, I can't do it. I gotta have at least like 25, just give me something. <laughs> um, but you, you did, you did touch on some, some important points in there. Um, and I want to relate it, you know, where I was kind of using athletes as an example, um, but some of the old ideas versus the new ideas, right? So you hear these scientific ideas, like the protein thing we talked about, you know, it's kind of debunked now. So one of the old ideas was for endurance athletes to carb load, they needed to deplete their glycogen, right? So this, this is how carbohydrates fit in. And then they could carb load, right? You hear people when they eat pasta, like I'm, I'm carb loading. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's whatever. Um, and that was the case in the 80s and probably in the 90s too. Um, but then there was a bunch of studies that came out that said, hey, actually, if you just lower your training a little bit and eat high carbs for a couple of days, it'll do the exact same thing. And the whole like endurance world was like, wait, I don't have to restrict carbs for four days. That's amazing. Um, so, so you can see how the literature's evolved, but also practically it's gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, another example that you mentioned was, uh, eating close to workouts, right? It used to be thought that you shouldn't eat within 60 minutes of a workout. And what we've kind of figured out is if you have gastrointestinal issues, you shouldn't eat 60 minutes before workout. Right. Um, so that's another thing that's kind of changed a little bit. And so what you're really seeing is it's, it's very individual and um, as we like to say, tailored, right, mm-hmm. to how you live your life, what you can handle, what kind of food you can handle. Um, 
because the the general guidelines are pretty simple. Like we covered all the protein ones. Um, the ones for carbohydrates are if you want to maximize your diet and your glycogen and carbohydrates, you should eat eight to 12 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. That, that's a lot. It, if you think about it, 80, 80 kilo person is like 175 pounds, mm -hmm. 80 times eight, that's 640 carbs. That's a lot of carbs. Mm -hmm. And yes, I did this math before I got on. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Um, you know, if, if we talk about, uh, carbs after a workout and getting those glycogen stores restored, right? Maybe we don't need to do that. Um, but if you want to maximize it, let's say this is, you'll love this example. Cause I, I saw this study in the, in the notes or in the, the position stand, the benefit to adding carbohydrates and refeeding and like refueling your gut glycogen occurred mainly during two a days, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing two a days, yeah have some carbs right after your workout, have a bunch of carbs. Um, because even with just resistance training, like a high volume workout is going to deplete mm, somewhere 30 to 40% of your glycogen. Um, and that plays a role in fatigue, even though your body can still like do workouts and reps, your, your quality of workout will decrease when your glycogen decreases. That's why you get tired. Right. Um, so those are, again, just some little things that we've kind of figured out. Um, over the past 30 to 40 years, they've been studying this for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like a couple things to add on to there too is like, for example, if I don't have gastrointestinal issues, but if I were to have my meal 60 minutes before I work out, I would probably feel like I have some during my workout. Like I'm not squatting with that meal because it's Greek yogurt, slow digesting protein with whey protein, oh. artificial protein, uh, oats, higher fiber and berries, more fiber. That's a slow digesting meal. Probably not the best, right? So if I'm training really close, I might sub that for some like lean steak or like ground turkey or something like that with white rice and maybe some kind of sauce to make it actually taste good because that's a, like a, just a starchy carb and some, some easy digesting protein for me, whether that's whey protein or egg whites or chicken or whatever is easy for my body. So that's something for people to think of. Like I always say the further out in that you know, with if we're talking within three to four hours of training, the further out, the more fiber and slower digestion protein you can have. And I read something in Lyle McDonald's protein guide years ago, and I don't know how much validity to it, but it makes sense in theory to me where, um, you know, he talked about mixing casein and whey. And I want to say he talked about it post-workout, but I actually think it makes more sense pre-workout because in that scenario, you know, whey protein might spike muscle protein since it's a little bit quicker, which be, can be more advantageous for muscle growth or, or whatever. Um, but casein is slower, so it can delay muscle protein breakdown. So if I'm eating a meal three hours out, I like the idea of having a little bit of both. Or if it's just a random meal and we want to mix them because we can, we can kind of get the best of both worlds and it can maybe keep you satiated a little bit longer as well because that slower digesting nature of the meal. Um, and so I think, I think that's you know something for people to consider as well is just like how much fiber, how much, like what kind of protein, those like those digesting factors as far as how far you're pushing out that meal itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so gastric em emptying comes into play there, right? So if you drink a protein shake, it's going to empty faster than if you eat a meal. Um, if you have a huge meal for lunch and then you have a protein shake later, 
like the the lunch meal is still in your stomach like you know it doesn't just disappear right um so a lot of this research is done either fasting and then they give a supplement or a meal or you know a mimetic of some sort to like figure out if this works um, but in real life that's not often the case like all of the muscle protein synthesis research, almost, like almost all of it, there's a couple of new ones, um, is done fasting. And like, yeah, sure, there are some people that train in the morning before they eat, but most people do not. Um, so, so there's also some context there that we haven't quite figured out. Uh, I think the idea of combining proteins was also really popular for like probably like five or 10 years ago. Um, and I, I really liked it because you're, you're exactly right. You have fast acting whey protein that can get in your system and some slow protein for later. Like maybe your casein doesn't get broken down for three or four hours and you have another meal. So what you still get the protein in, you still need to hit your protein numbers, um, for nighttime, like bedtime, that might be an easy thing to do. It's old school bodybuilder, but there's a couple papers that have come out that show, Hey, if we have casein overnight, like right before we go to bed, it's good for muscle hypertrophy or it's good for preventing muscle protein breakdown. Um, and over the long term, those little things tend to add up. Um, so that might be another good example of how the, the bodybuilders had it right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do it every night. So yeah, I agree. And um, I think that another thing to point out with the carbs would be, and you've probably seen this too. I've experienced a lot of different situations with people, um, you know, somebody who has to consume 600 grams carbs a day I don't find there to be like, there's not really like a, a limit to how much I'm like, I'm not worried about how many carbs are in each meal. There's so many carbs coming in. We just kind of evenly spread them. It's like, dude, just get them in. But for somebody, let's say I take two different people and they're both consuming 300 grams carbs. It's a little bit easier to, to get throughout four or five meals. Well, there's certain, some people who can have a little bit less in the mornings. So maybe they feel better. And then they have 100 to 150 grams carbs in a single meal and they feel totally fine. Feel good. They actually love it. It's like a big feast. Great. Other people feel extremely bloated. Uh, if you're extremely bloated and you're having digestive issues, I got to imagine the absorption isn't as optimal and you just don't feel good or comfortable. So I think there's certain situations where you have to listen to your body and you can't, you know, when we talk about like meal by meal, how many carbs you should be consuming each meal. For some people, the best route is to just evenly spread it out. Um, and there's even some situations where I, I've heard Mel, Dr. Mel Davis talk about with uh, uh, hypothyroidism something like that, spread, spreading them out, um, as well as somebody who, I, I, I forget what it's called every time, uh, the extreme levels of cortisol constantly, what's the illness? Oh man, yeah, I just lost it too, um, but there's a there's a disease. It's uh, named after Cush somebody. Cushing's, there you Cushing's go. syndrome? Yeah. yeah. So somebody like that, we might want to be really monitoring carbs in every meal because maybe we can help blunt cortisol throughout the day and manage stress better, but those are very rare circumstances, right? So I think that for the most part, you have to listen to your body um, because you might be somebody that does better with, you know, just 25 to 50 grams in each meal. You might be somebody who can not have any carbs in the morning and then eat a shit ton at night because, you know, it doesn't bother you and you really enjoy it. So um, things like that vary as well. And I don't think there's any like one way to skin a cat, right? There's so many different ways to do it. I do tend to favor uh, higher carb approaches in some of these situations if muscle is the goal for anybody because I think that, you know, people will talk about, well, when fats are lower, like hormonally, you're going to feel it and all those kind of things. And I agree. But at the same time, by the time you're going to feel it, you're also going to feel it just because your calories are low. So I personally like 
if adherence is there, that's obviously the big thing there. But if I'm getting my calories low, I know at some points I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to be cranky. I'm not going to have a ton of energy, whether I'm high carb, low carb, high fat. It doesn't matter. My calories are in a deficit. I'm probably going to have those moments. I would personally rather have car or fats pretty low, carbs as high as possible because I know it's going to fuel my training. If my training is good, I'm more likely to maintain muscle, right? And that's that's always my focus when I'm in a fat loss phase. My number one focus is can I maintain every ounce possible of muscle because that's what's going to give me the look I want when I actually get leaner. Um, so again, just something for people to think about because I know the 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 hormone thing is always people scapegoat of like I don't want to go have my fats too low, but if you can adhere to it, I think it's sometimes a better route if you want to maintain muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy a, a high carb life when I'm training. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are different situations for people who have like medical issues. Mm-hmm. These recommendations are for like straight athletes. Um, so when you look at the, the position stand or the, the notes, right. Know that this is like super optimizing performance for athletes, mm-hmm. right. You can do most of this, say you do like, you just get your protein, right? You'll see 90, 95% of the benefits that you would, if you saw, if you did everything perfect. So we're just talking on the edges here. And I, and I like to talk about that stuff because there are people who are just like, give me everything, right? If a supplement will give me a 0.5% advantage, I want it. Mm -hmm. And then there's me who's like, I used to be like that, like 10 years ago, not like that anymore. (laughs) Don't care that much. Yeah. I think I got as big as I could get. So I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, and that's a, and that's a really good point, man. Like my, I'm more focused on, uh, movement quality and strength now than I have been in a long time, because at a certain point you do kind of go, I could probably get bigger, but I'd, I'd really have to like, I'd have to be dedicated. I'd have to be like a real serious bro, like six yeah. days a week, lifting meal plans to out, like I'd have to get more sleep, which I don't really feel like doing. I'd have to do a lot of things, um, which is fine. But like in my point in my life, I'm like, you know what? I really like training just four days a week. I really like only getting six hours of sleep most nights. Like I like waking up early. I like going to bed late. It's at some point you kind of have to, you know, give or take. And that's why for me right now, strength and, and like how far I can jump, I, like how fast my 300-yard shuttle, shit like that is what really is firing me up right now. They're probably not going to be conducive to much muscle growth, but it's fun. It keeps me in the gym, um, and it's allowing me to still eat a good amount of carbs, which I am all about that carb life, like you said. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you used your sprinting, as we said, some like agility type stuff, yep. because random tangent, right? Most people like as they become adults and age up, they don't sprint. Mm-hmm. Like actually sprinting and being agile is very rare. Um, and in fact, there's a couple studies, if you look at them, it's like they'll, they'll do what, what you call a timed up and go, which is just standing up from a chair. But the faster you can do it, which is mimic, like mimicking that explosion, the, the less chance of mortality, right? So yeah. like as you age, being athletic and well-rounded, um, goes a long way. Yeah. goes a real long way. That's one of those things that I'll, I, I think I've always tried to keep in there. And there's been mesocycles where I don't have any of it, but I always, I just feel better when I'm doing it, um, in moderate amounts. Like for, for yesterday, uh, the sprints were like 
20 yards. So on the, the assault runner, it's maybe like seven to 10 seconds, but it's more of like an acceleration to a top speed. And then as soon as you get to that top speed, you're kind of decelerating. Right. And yeah. then we we're doing some jumps and we used to do a lot of, uh, whether I'm like sitting down flat facing one way and then somebody claps and it's turn pop up sprint down the turf or it's laying on my chest and as soon as they clap push up into sprint but doing things like that that are very reactive not only does it kind of gamify it's just fun you feel like an athlete but like you said we're working on reaction time explosiveness and the mechanics of actually jumping and throwing and sprinting and stuff like that are super super important for your nervous system yeah. Yeah. So I need to, I actually need to put some of that back in my training. I usually, what I'll do is I'll go play soccer and that covers the whole spectrum of yeah. lo- like medium running, sprinting, jumping, cutting. Um, but with, you know, COVID it's been really hard. Yeah. Um, it's also really cold up here, like six months a year. So I, I bet. Yeah. That's actually what I think got me to do more of that training. Like when I stopped playing soccer, I was like, okay, well, how do I still do some of this stuff? in the gym, you know, and that's, you know, I kind of went down the path, um, not to sell somebody who works on the staff, but man, you would love the everyday athlete in the Taylor training. <laughs> you actually, you, you would really like it. That's the program I'm doing. It's, it's really fun, man. You would really, really enjoy it. I will, I will check it out because I think I can, I'm going to get cleared to exercise next week. Um, cause I had post COVID heart mm. problems. So life sucks for a little bit, yeah. but it's getting better. I'm yeah. ready. Let me know, man. Let me know. And I can uh, obviously get you in there and everything and you would like it. So, um, good. So we'll, uh, we'll link everything we talked about. It'll all be in the show notes, either written out or linked for you guys. So you can check it out. Uh, do you have any closing statements before we wrap up? No, no, I think we got it. So, uh, in my opinion, long story short, nutrient timing definitely is something to think about, but it's not as important as it once was for the everyday person. If you're an extreme level athlete, completely different story, it probably is pretty valuable to consider. Um, But there's a spectrum here. There's a big bell curve of how important it actually is for you. So being aware of it is important. Being obsessed with it is really just not not that important. It's kind of a waste of time. So uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Uh, Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Spotify and iTunes, and we'll catch you guys next time.